Amen. Chris, the monitor's on if you could kill it. Thanks. Does anybody like zzzz? No. Some people, I just, it's like I can't concentrate. Amen. It's a new speaker, too. Come out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9. Give me an amen if you're there. I want to talk about Saul for a moment. Verse 17. It says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Now underline that, Brother Saul. And the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to underline, has sent me. So underline, Brother Saul, and has sent me. In verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Father, thank you for bringing us back tonight on Sunday night. Thank you for the presence of the Lord that's here tonight. Thank you for the work that you're doing in every one of our lives tonight. Lord, anoint your word tonight. Anoint our ears to hear. And Lord, that this, this time together would not be wasted, but it would be used, Father, to grow, to understand, to know you greater and to know who we are in Christ tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. We see the, the, the final uh, experience of conversion with Saul here in 17 and 18. And I want to show you some things in the scriptures tonight that happened for that to happen. And how we're involved in the gospel experience and how we're involved in the salvation experience. Conversion is a word that you don't see a lot in the Bible. It is there, but it has a powerful meaning. And, and, and another word that I could say that has a parallel meaning is, that you would recognize is repentance. Um, the repentance experience, meaning to be sorry for what you've done. And one of the greatest ways that we can know we're saved is that we're sorry for what we've done. Amen. How many have recognized that in your life? Uh, hopefully through this message tonight, you'll begin to kind of recognize and feel and sense where I'm at in my walk with God, where I'm at in my spirit with the Lord. And one of those things is if, if I'm truly converted to Christ and I'm truly saved and born again, I'm sorry for the things I've done and I'm sorry when I do things wrong, meaning repentance means I've converted from my old ways. Jesus says in Matthew 18, unless you be converted like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? It means unless you become as children in, in the sense of, of blind, simple faith, you cannot be saved. And so the converted means if obviously uh, physically you don't go back to being a child again. Just like when, when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, you don't come out of your mother's womb again. It's a spiritual rebirth. Something happens where I'm not the same person that I used to be. Now, I want to look back at Acts chapter 9, or sorry, Acts chapter 8, if you'll go there, just one chapter back. And, and many of you know who uh, Brother Saul is, but some of you don't know who Brother Saul was. And it's important for people to know who we were so they can know who we are. 
Amen. It's not something that we, we don't brag about our past to give glory to the devil. We brag about our past to give glory to God, about what he has brought us from. And, and it doesn't always mean a, a, a horrible sin life, but even somebody who has been raised in the kingdom of God, raised in the things of God and has, has walked with God and, and loved God, uh, has a point in their life where they have a conversion experience. Where they, where, they, where they change, where something, where the light bulb comes on and they recognize some things that I'm going to show you here tonight. Let's look at who Saul was. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Saul was consenting to his death. This is uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is stoned to death for his faith. And verse 8 says, Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And a devout man, sorry, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Now look at verse 3. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He made havoc of the church. And entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. Now we all know and all have testimonies in here of, of, of people who, who had some rough background and who were some rough people, made some bad mistakes, did some bad things. But Saul took it to a whole nother level. He wasn't just bad all by himself. He, he, he hated the church. Hated the church. Hated, hated the, the, the gospel hated everything that Jesus was about. I mean, honestly and truly, he's, he's a, he was, a, he was a, for us to understand today, like Osama bin Laden, you know, someone like that that just, you just knew he just hated people and killed people. Well, Saul would, have you ever thought about that? He went into the houses and dragged men and women to prison. So he's a pretty bad guy. And yet we see in Acts 9 that he's being converted to Christ and now he's brother Saul. What a miracle. Amen. What a miracle that so much can change in one chapter of his life. Now let's go to chapter 9. Verse 1. Before his, his conversion in, in, in the later verses that we read first, it says, verse 1, then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, how many are of the way tonight? Amen. Of the way. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. If you're taking notes tonight, I want to show you a few things that are proofs that you've had a conversion experience and, 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 and things that have happened that is part of your conversion experience. The number one is God has to reveal himself to you. Okay, God has to reveal himself to you. I want you to really think about this for a second because it's, it's, it's easy for us to forget once we get saved. We're in here tonight and, and, and I believe most of us are saved. Hopefully all of us are saved. Uh, we believe this. We, it's, it's a Sunday night. You know, I don't see too many vi any visitors that, or too many visitors. So I mean, in general, 
uh, I know your hearts and you believe. But you have to remember, there was a point, whether it was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, you didn't know nothing about God. Nothing. You didn't think about him. You didn't pray over your food. You didn't think about praying over your food. You didn't, you didn't have a, a thought of doing anything you did. You just did it. And then at one point, at some moment, you did a 180. You just turned. But you turned because God revealed himself to you. And, and there's a few, three different ways I, I want you to think about this, of how God reveals himself. One is personally, like we just saw with Saul, or we're going to see in just a moment. He, he revealed himself personally, like literally straight to him. I, we, have, we have examples of that even in this church. We have, you might know somebody like that who was converted to Christ, not because somebody witnessed to them, but because God himself spoke to them somehow, directly to them, and they had a conversion experience from God. He revealed himself personally to them through, through, through a man, or through, through himself. Abraham's another. Okay? And, and secondly, is people can, are revealed, God is revealed to people through tragedy. Through a situation, through a trial, uh, where where you know people, some people will call it uh, um, uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, prison or jail uh, salvation. You know where someone's in a dire situation, and lots of people get saved in prison because they realize, man, I've hit I've hit rock bottom. Lots of people get saved in a hospital because they're really sick. Lots of people get saved after a really bad accident. Lots of people get saved in those kind of situations. That makes sense. If you think about when you got saved, it, 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 something was going on, a situation, a tragedy, a trial, a test was going on. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that trial, you saw and need and realized, I need God. Okay? I'm here with me. The third one is through a person. Those are the three ways that somebody has God revealed to them. Whether he does it directly himself whether he allows a situation to get our attention or somebody, and this is the one that's used the most, this is the one that happens the most, is God uses somebody else to speak into your life. Now what's interesting in Saul's life that we're reading here is Saul had all three. All three. As we continue to read here in verse 4, it says, Let's go to three. Sorry. He says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, watch what he said. Who are you, Lord? It's kind of like the atheists that don't believe in God, but they, they say, thank God all the time. Or when, the, when things begin to get rough, they pray. Amen. Hey, let's pray. We, you know, hey, will you pray? I see people all the time. They say I don't believe in God, but when, whoa, when things get, get bad, hey, will you pray for me? So he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. We just saw in the chapter before, he's dragging people off to the prisons. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. For the longest time, I'm like, what in the world is a goad? What does that mean? Amen. It just means it's hard for you to go against what I'm going to do in your life. It's hard for you to go against the, my plan for your life. 
And so he says, why are you, it's hard for you to continue to run from me, in other words. How many ran for a while before you surrendered? So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the the Lord says, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So we see Saul here has a personal revealing of God to him personally. And then as we continue to read, we see the second part. It says, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Going blind, it would probably be a good way to get attention to somebody. Right? He's, he's on a horse, and, and uh, he looked up, and if any of you want to have an idea of what this is like, come up here, stand here, and accidentally, like I've done before, look up into one of these lights. It's hard to read your notes after you've looked into that light. It's the worst mistake you can make. And, and the, this light is nothing compared to the light that he saw from Jesus. Amen. So he's immediately blinded. And now he, he needs to be led, it says, by the hand, brought into Damascus, verse 9. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So we see the second one. Now he has already had God revealed to him and now he's in some trouble. He's going through a trial. Blindness is pretty bad. Not eating, not drinking, three days, and all of a sudden we see the third one that comes into play in Saul's life. Verse 10, and there was a certain man, disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now I want you to underline that because that's us. We are Ananias. Amen? Not the Ananias of Ananias and Sapphira. Amen. The Ananias... That witnesses to Saul. You don't want to be Ananias and Sapphira. You can read that later. So he says, a certain disciple, Ananias, named Ananias in, in Damascus, and says to him, to the Lord, says to him in a vision, Ananias. And he says what we need to say here tonight. Here I am, Lord. I'm available. And the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. Interesting. Did you ever, some of you thought, I'll never pray. I'll never pray. But God can put you in a situation where you need to pray. Here's Saul just three days earlier on his horse to, to Damascus to kill and to take to prison more Christians. Doesn't want to have anything to do with with this God. He hates Jesus. Yet three days later, he's a prayer warrior. He has a prayer life. See, you say, how do I get a prayer life? Well, be careful what you ask for. I want a prayer life. Careful that you ask for a prayer life because God might put you in a situation where you learn how to pray not exactly in the way you want to learn. Put you blind for three days, no food, no drink, in a place you don't know where you're at. And all of a sudden Saul says, you know what? Uh, Something real happened here. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I think I'm going to pray. God, reveal yourself to me. Who are you? You might say he already revealed himself, but the conversion experience hasn't finished yet because he hasn't had his eyes opened yet. 
When, when God fully finishes the work, our eyes open. And, and, and the scales are removed. Watch what happens here. It says, he's praying in verse 11 and 12 says, In a vision, he sees a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Wouldn't you like to know tonight that there's people who are hoping and searching for Jesus and they're seeing your face and they're seeing your, your life and they're thinking, I need to meet that person because that person's got the answers for me. Do you realize you have the answers for somebody tonight? Do you realize you're the Ananias for somebody's Saul tonight? That there are people that you, you, you might think they ain't praying. They might be in such a bad situation. They're praying. They don't know who they're praying to, but they're praying. They don't know what they're looking for, but they're looking. They don't know why they're hopeless, but they're hopeless. And listen, everybody needs an Ananias. Everybody needs somebody to tell them what they need to be converted from. Because he was doing something for God. But it wasn't what God wanted. So watch this, continue to read. He says, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard this is the interesting part from many about this man. How much harm has he done to your saints in Jerusalem? How would you like to be praying one night in your prayer life? And God says, I want you to go witness to Osama bin Laden. Now, I know he's gone, but he's still a good example. How'd you like that? Be a little scary. And God tells you in your prayer, no, I'm already working on him. Don't worry. I want you to fly to, where was he? Where was he anyways? Iraq? Where was he? Huh? Afghanistan. I want you to fly to Afghanistan tomorrow. And I want you to go witness to Osama bin Laden. You know everything about that. You know what he does. And, you want, and I want you to go tell him Jesus loves him. When you know that he hates Christians. Right? This is modern day. This is what we're seeing here. And so Ananias is saying, Lord, I really, I really wish I wouldn't have said, here I am, Lord, until I knew what you were going to ask me to do. Can I, back, can I pull that back? How many of you ever wanted to pull something back? Hey, I'm willing, Lord. And then he tells you what he wants you to do. And you well, I wasn't that willing, Lord. Come on, Lord. Not, I'm not quite ready for that. So he says, Lord, this, this man, verse 13, has done much damage and harm to your saints. And he, in verse 14, here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Amen. So we see here God revealing himself personally. Then God putting Saul in a situation of tragedy or trial. And then we see a person witnessing to him. And, and this is the, the part that I want us to focus on the most. Because uh, we can't sit back and wait for God to reveal himself to people. Did y'all catch that? We have to be, we can't sit back and pray. Lord, let that person go through a mighty trial so they can know you. We need to be the person who says, Lord, use me. Use my life to be a witness so I can tell people about Jesus and they can want what I have. Amen. So we see 
as we continue to pray here, or read here, sorry, in verse 18, 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him. Here's what we saw, what we read earlier. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to tell you that you have received your sight and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And watch what happens in verse 18. This is the second thing that happens after God reveals himself. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his, his sight at once, sorry, and he arose and was baptized. After Jesus revealed himself to you, the second part of your conversion is he began to take the blinders off. He, what does that mean? That means that all of a sudden, you were living in sin and you realize the sin you're living in is wrong. Now, you might have had some, some moments where you might have felt bad for something, but in general, you did not feel bad. You were just living life, and then you start coming to church, you start hearing the Bible preached, you start going to Bible studies, you start listening to the Word, you start reading the Word on your own, and you start seeing the Bible talk about the things you're doing, and all of a sudden, after all these years, the scales have fallen off, and you begin to recognize, I'm in sin. That's part of the conversion experience. I am undone, as Isaiah said. I am a man of unclean lips. I am in trouble. I, I, I need a Savior. That's when the, when the scales come off, you say, I need a Savior. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. Because sometimes you can talk to people and say, hey, are you saved? And they say, saved from what? They haven't realized they need a Savior. But when we are in the conversion experience of changing our lives over to God, all of a sudden we realize, I need a Savior. All of a sudden we realize that there are distractions around us that God begins to remove. Sometimes we have to remove them ourselves. And the third part of number two, of him taking off the blinders, he shows us what we cannot see. And one of the biggest things he shows us is our pride. Right? Our pride. Pride's a, it's a killer. Third thing that happens in a conversion experience, number one is God reveals himself. Number two is he takes the blinders off. And you begin to see all of a sudden, all of a sudden things begin to make sense. Number three is he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He fills us. We see here that immediately fell, there fell from his eyes like scales and he received his sight and he arose and was baptized. So he got baptized in water, but we also know that he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a, there's a conversion experience that happened and we realize that it's distinct. His conversion was over there on the road to Damascus, but his filling of the Holy Spirit was in the house of Ananias as he prayed for him and he realized I need a Savior. He realized I have distractions. I have sin in my life. I need Jesus. And then all of a sudden when the scales came off, now all those things are out of the way and the Spirit comes in and fills me up. Why? Why does he fill us up? Because he needs to use us. 
We can't convert anybody to Christ or to the truth in our own power. My words and your words are never going to help anybody. But if you get your words spoken out of your mouth through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will change people's lives. Amen. How many want that Holy Spirit to speak through you and it be his words and not yours? And it be so strong that as we see later with Saul, as he turns into Paul, he's preaching later on in chapter 10 or 11. And, and, and one of the, the Felix says, I am so persuaded that I almost believe and I almost want to become a Christian because of the way you speak. That's, that's, that's what we need. We need our words to be his words. That comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number four. These, two, these next two are really important because really these first three, we don't have a whole lot of control over. They kind of happen. God's working on us and they begin to happen. But four and five, we have control over. Part of it is what we see and part of it is what we do. Number four is in the conversion experience, there's an evident change. There's an evident change in my life. How many believe that? There's a change. I'm not the same person I used to be. I look back on 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 my thought life, I don't think like I used to think. I look back on who I used to hang around with or want to hang around with, I don't want to hang around with those people anymore. I look back on the way I used to talk, I don't talk the way I used to talk. I look back now on my world perspective, and my perspective's different. I see the world a different way. Number four is there's an evident change. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter four real quick and look at this with me. And give me an amen when you get there. Ephesians chapter four. Verse 22. Number four, there's an evident change. It's real. Can anybody in here convince you tonight that your salvation is not real? No. Nobody. No situation. And see, that's the thing, though. I would, I would, I would be willing to say there are some people who could be convinced out of their salvation. I don't think they're really saved. Because when you have really been born again and when you have really converted to Christ, there is nothing that can tell you that what God did in you is not real. Because it's not a thing that happens up here. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a rebirth. You are born again. You can get around. If you, you see, that's the problem. You can know the Bible in your mind. You can have the knowledge. You can have the understanding. You can study it all day long. But if you don't have it here, then when your faith gets attacked philosophically by someone who might know the Bible better than you do, and likes to take the twi- scriptures and twist them around, you can lose a battle and even lose your faith if it's all up here. But when it's here, and, and God has changed your life, and there's an evident change in you, and you know that you are not the same person that you used to be, you are a new creation, Second Corinthians says, and all the old things you used to do and be are, are gone, and they're old, you know that doesn't matter. You say, hey, you can come at me all day long with your philosophy and your logic and this and that, but I tell you that Jesus changed my life, and I'm not the same person I used to be. And they will stay with their logic. 
and never change. But there's an evident change. Number, verse 22 of, of Ephesians chapter 4 says that you would put off. That's why I said this is where it gets into our territory now. We have to put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look at this. That you, verse 24, put on the new man. Put on the new man. Which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now as I'm closing, think about this. What is conversion? We just saw it right here. He says that you would put on the new man which was created according to God. What did Jesus say in Matthew 18? I want you to be converted, unless you be converted like children, meaning unless you go back to the original state of how I wanted things, there is a way that God created us. There is a plan that God had for us that was perfect. Right? And so when we are converted to Christ... We are no longer running the direction we want to run. We are no longer in charge of our lives. We are no longer uh, uh, making the decisions for ourselves. Now we have a new mind. We have a new understanding. We have a revelation of who he is. And the Bible actually says that I have been bought with a price and that I'm not my own, that I am bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and that now I belong to him. That's what a conversion experience is, is that I don't, I don't go back and forth between my old self and my new self, who I was and who I am. I'm either there or I'm here. You can't be two places at one time. You're either saved or you're not. You're either in or you're out. Amen. He's either Lord or he's not. And so if people are, are, are going back and forth on that, then they, there's, there's a lack of a true conversion experience. But it shows here that we have to put on the new man. That's a decision I have to make. And that's why people can go back to their old ways. Because they have choice. And they can say, oh, you know, I, I don't know. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Matter of fact, I think I just mentioned that Wednesday. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm converted? To, how do I know I'm, I'm a new person? Because you don't love the world anymore. You ever heard somebody say, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, worldly Christians? Crazy phrase. They're worldly. They call them worldly Christians, but they're not Christians. Because you can't be a Christian and be in the world. He says, come out of the world. He says, be separate from them. He says, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. And so tonight we understand, I, I have been saved because I am not the person I used to be. And, and, and if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. And so I, can't, I cannot love Jesus and love the world. And that doesn't mean the people. It means the things, the system, the ideology, the thoughts, the, 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 the desires, the pulls. That's what it means. Number five, last one. Very important. Big sign. Am I converted? 
Am I Christian? Am I saved? You convert others. You convert others. Well, Pastor, I've never been able to lead anybody to the Lord. I've never said the prayer, sinner's prayer with anybody. Are you trying? As long as you're trying, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, you can't make anybody change. But are you throwing seeds? Are you planting seeds? Are you telling people about the Lord? Are you concerned about their souls? Are you passing out Jesus cards? Are you praying for souls? Are you witnessing? Are you taking every opportunity that you can to tell people that Jesus loves them? Are you, are you taking time to be concerned about other people? You have to be. If you are saved and truly converted to Christ, you will have a burden to tell other people about Jesus. You will not be able to stay quiet. Now, please understand what I just said. If you are a seed sower and you're always witnessing and you're always telling people about the Lord and you've maybe never, ever had the privilege to be able to say a sinner's prayer with somebody, that is not your fault. You can't change a person, but you better be doing the first part. Because you cannot expect. You know what it's like if you don't throw seeds and you don't pass out Jesus cards and you don't say Jesus loves you and you don't take opportunities and you don't witness? That's like you expecting to get somebody saved without witnessing is like trying to get a tree to grow without putting a seed in the ground. You're out there looking at your garden and, and you're thinking, man, I ain't got no tomatoes, I ain't got no cucumbers, I ain't got no... And someone said, well, where's the seed at? Seed? You need seed? So, sounds crazy. But sometimes we sit back and expect a harvest. We want, we want God to use us. and we want, we want to see souls saved, maybe, and, and, but we don't sow any seed. You got to put the seed in the ground. Don't have any control over once it's in the ground. You got to guard it, shield it, make sure that, 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 that the animals don't come away and eat it. But you got to put the seed in the ground. And that's what God calls us to do. Ananias was able to, to, to reap the fruit of Saul because he was sowing seeds. How many of you would like to be the person that gets the credit in heaven for leading Saul to Jesus? Woo! Man! Do you realize we're going to meet one day in Ananias in heaven? I want to meet him. I want to I talk to him. Like, What was that like, man? When you, I mean, tell me how your knees were trembling. Amen. I want you to go back to the pre-moment when you were on, you know, when you knew that, that Ananias or Saul, God was telling you to go talk to Saul. I want to know how you felt. We're going to talk to, Jesus, to Ananias in heaven. And he's going to have the crown of leading Saul to Jesus. Amen. Maybe there's a Saul or a Jezebel or a Ruth. Somebody out there in Denton or in your neighborhood that God wants you to reach. Yeah. Amen? And, and, and you're the person that's supposed to convert that person to Christ. So we see there in that verse, we already read it. I got ahead of myself. We already read it. He says, here I am, Lord. And he says, I want you to go, go rise, go to the place. And you know what? We see here kind of what I mentioned this morning. We can be more specific in our prayers. God can tell us, go there and say that and do this. Maybe we're too busy sometimes to stop. To stop and say, Lord, 
You want me to speak to this person? I'll do it. And that person's just ripe. That person's just waiting. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're hard. But sometimes at the gas station or at the store or at work, that person is ripe and they're just waiting and they don't even know it. They're just waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus. And you might think, you might look at them from the outside and think, they don't want nothing to do with God. Their actions, they're horrible. They're, 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 they're wicked. But you don't know at home, they might be thinking, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Or they might be at home saying, God, I'm sick and tired of this life. Or they might not even say God. They just say, I'm sick and tired of this life. There's no hope in this life. And in a way, they might not be praying the way we pray, but they're praying. They're, they're saying, I, I don't want this anymore. And that person's right for you to speak. Jesus loves you. And your words filled with the Holy Spirit out of the conversion experience you have had. If you are saved here, if you're saved it doesn't matter what the, what, the, what the testimony is. You have the power of your testimony to say, I want to tell you what Jesus did for me. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord God, help us be truly converted tonight. Truly repentive. Truly turned towards you. Holy Spirit, as you're in this place tonight, God, the harvest is plenty. And you said in your word, the laborers, the workers are few. The harvest is plenty. Jesus said the harvest is white and it's ripe. But I need workers to go. I need workers to speak my word. I need workers to go into the harvest and to tell people I am Lord. I am salvation. I am hope. Have you truly been converted? Maybe as we were reading tonight, as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed and we were saying some of these things, maybe you're thinking, man, I don't, I'm not sure those things have happened to me. I'm not sure God has revealed himself to me. I'm not sure that I've seen the blinders come off. I'm not sure that I've realized that there's the sin and distractions and pride in my life. I haven't real. I don't know if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if, if, if I, how can I go tell someone else about the Lord if I'm not sure that I'm saved? If those are questions you have, God wants to answer them tonight. That's why we say so much. It's not about a church membership. It's not what God's looking for. Did you sign a paper? God's looking for you to give him, give him your heart, to truly repent, to truly be converted to him. Holy Spirit, you're the work. You're the one that does the work. You're the one that changed me. You're the one that came in and revealed yourself to me and took the blinders off my eyes. Lord, tonight, take the blinders off the eyes of those people that we want to witness to, that we want to share our faith with all over this place tonight. We're talking about the true conversion experience. Maybe, maybe this was a message that just gave you some, some, some confidence to know I am saved. I have been born again. This has happened in my life. This, this is real. Hopefully, hopefully that's happening. Hopefully you're 
allowing the Lord to speak to you. Sometimes you can be in a place hearing God's word and be too busy with life and too busy with other things that you miss it. So many people tonight in hell wish they'd have an opportunity to hear a gospel message again. To be in a church service again. You might be here and you might be bored. You might be counting the minutes for this service to be over. But Jesus loves you. And tomorrow's not promised. And God is not a religion. He's a heavenly father who wants a relationship with us. He gives us a choice. I, I let you choose life or death, he says. I let you choose heaven or hell. Follow me or deny me. Confess me or deny me. I I'll let you choose. Hopefully tonight, as you hear these gospel messages, God is revealing himself to you. And hopefully every time you hear a message, scales are coming off your eyes. And truth is penetrating your heart. And you're realizing, I am saved. I am born again. I am a new creation. How many could say, that's not me though. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I don't know where I'd go tonight if I passed into eternity. If you don't know, you can know tonight by just raising your hand saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to be saved. I need to know that Jesus is Lord over my life. I want to know that I, I am forgiven tonight of my sins. Just put your hand up and put it right back down. I'm backslidden. I'm running from God. I'm, I'm playing games with God. Help me, Lord. God can see your heart tonight. God can help you. God can change you. God can transform you. God can give you purpose. As you stand tonight, all of us should take the challenge of saying, Lord, I know there's an evident change in me, and I know that I'm supposed to convert others. Some people have a, a strong call to intercede and pray. Thank God for that. Some people have a strong call to be givers. Thank God for that. Some people have a strong call to get their hands dirty and work. Thank God for that. There's a bunch of different ways God uses us. But you'll never get away from the fact that God has called you personally to convert other people to Christ. Can't ever get away from that. You can excel in those other things. There is a, 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 a thought somehow... I don't know where in the world it comes from. There's a thought in churches that evangelism is a ministry. If that's you, sorry to, to burst your bubble. Evangelism is not a ministry. It's a mandate. Jesus did not say to the evangelism ministry, go and preach the gospel. He said, go and preach the gospel. Who, who's supposed to do that? Everybody. Somehow, some way, churches have gotten this the philosophy. Well, that's 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 so and so. So and so is good at that. 
so-and-so's good at talking. Now, there's no doubt some people have a better gift, a, a better availability, a better openness, a better wording, whatever, but they probably didn't get that without doing it. And, and, and sometimes we, we think we're doing it anyways. That's the biggest reason why we fail, because I think I'm, I'm changing somebody. You're just a vessel. And that's where you have to come to the altar sometimes and say, God, I really want to be used, but I don't know how. And he'll say, I'll use you. Just be willing. You can throw up the, the, the butts to God. He did. Ananias did. He didn't go straight over there. He said, hey, you, this guy's dangerous. He kills people. Okay. Yes, sir. I mean, God don't mind if you do all that little, hey, but, what, it, and all that, as long as at the end you say, yes, sir. It's when we do all those and don't say the yes, sir, that we mess up. Get it all out. Tell God all the things he knows. Well, what if this happens and what if that happens? And, well, this might happen and this might happen. And once you're done with all that, say, okay, God, I'll go. And I'm just going to tell that person what you, what you want me to say. But it is a call and it is a mandate and it's a great commission that we all preach the gospel everywhere we go now a cliche that's a great saying that I believe with all my heart is I believe we need to open our mouths I believe we need to speak but I also believe that you can win people to the Lord with your life that you can live in such a way that people will ask you what do you have there is something now many of you have a very distinct life tonight from what you used to have you're living a very different way. And now, people are beginning to recognize. How many know that after a while, it takes time, but after a while, they begin to say, you know what, this, this doesn't seem to be a phase. You seem like you've really changed. What is it, that, what, what, what happened? And then there's the door. But you gotta persevere. Amen, so, so take, take the challenge tonight, the constant challenge from God, that we need to convert people to Christ and be the willing vessel. Amen. Let's take a few minutes at the altar tonight just to pray, get ready for this week. Get ready for whatever the Lord wants us to do this week. The people that he has us to reach. I believe there's some Saul's out there. And God will tell us how to get to them, where they're at, and what to say to them, if we'll be willing. All these pieces broken inside.